good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whatever type of day you're having, I hope you're having a blessed one. And I want to welcome you to Walk with Jesus. On this episode of Walk with Jesus, we're going to discuss this story of Abraham. We're going to dig uh, deep into the Genesis 11 all the way through Genesis 18, uh, which is probably about the halfway point in his life. Um, we're going to discuss his travels. We're going to discuss his promises with God, and we're going to discuss how faith is get faith that we have at times may be challenged, and how we at times may try to take things into our own hands that we should probably leave in God's hands. But before we get there, let's start off with a prayer. Lord, I thank you for everybody that's come to list this podcast, from the east to the west to the north to the south. We thank you, Lord, for the global audience. We thank you, Lord, for the love and blessings you bestowed upon our lives. Lord, I know there may be people that come to you this podcast to hear and perceive, receive your food, and we ask that they are able to be blessed. May you bless their lives in multitudes. May the knowledge be poured upon them, and the love and the Holy Spirit be blessed with them. If there's somebody that's listening to this podcast and has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we pray to you, Lord, that at the end of this podcast, that they may feel you even stronger and realize the point of Hidden Man at Church is to not be a top church, but it's to be the church that you are in, my Lord, that you are feeding the food to the children. I thank you, Lord, for this day, and it's in your name I pray, my Lord. Amen. So, a uh, quick side note before I start. I know there is, uh, in the United States, uh, election. I must say this. No matter what happens, just remember, Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. We may go through persecution as Christians. We may go through hard times. But no matter who is your president, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And things come and things go. And we just have to be acceptive of whatever is presented to us. Lord. All right. So on Genesis 11, we're pretty much given the summary of you know, Tower of Babel's taking place, but we're going to go to the ending part of it because this is where really Noah, I mean, yeah, Noah's bloodline kind of bleeds into Abraham. You see it's from Shem, Noah's son, oldest son, and he's he has a great-grandchild uh, named uh, Terah, and he took his son, this is Genesis 31, and he took his son, Abraham and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, his son Abram's wife. Now his name is Abraham. Abraham at this time it's Abram's. So just to give you a heads up, and they went out with uh, them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah, Terah were 205 years. And Terah had you know, died in Haran. So if you remember when we spoke to you about Noah, we told you that the lifespan was going to go down and down and down. And so now it's done got all the way to Abram's father, whom, you know, doesn't live a, I mean, he lives a long life compared to our standards, but he doesn't live a long life. Uh, compared to the older scripture, where they were living, you know, seven, eight hundred years old. So, uh, it's, it's very interesting. I I find that, you know, the lifespan of the biblical characters, the most interesting thing, because it's as if we we look at our lives uh, today, and we're, we're given, you know, best case scenario, Anywhere from our 60s to to 80s is a long, good life. Anything after 80 to 100, ooh, you're doing real good. And then 100 to 120, wow, that that's a rare class. And they even, it's such a rare class that people put it on, uh, they put it on, you know, the news, media, you're celebrated. Because it's unheard of, because especially with the way modern society is, and um, they bump us full of pharmaceutical drugs, you know, that really could be doing more damage than help. Uh, 
you know, that's that's another topic we can go into. And then you also look at how, you know, how is this affecting us as society? You know, the longevity that we live is, you know, we have to realize that God has a purpose behind each person's life. And that's why they live probably the time frame they do and, and a length. So let's dive into Genesis 12. The promise, the purpose of Genesis 12 is it shows the promise of, that God makes Abram, informing him that he would have a great name. This is the point where Abram's faith is starting. So it's like a new little mustard seed. It's like as if God came to you right now and he said to you, Hey, I am your father's God. And obviously he's not talking about Terah, but he's talking about Shem. I am his God. I am here to serve you guys the promise that I made Noah. And what you mean what I mean by serve is you know, he's going to take care of us and we just have to have that faith. And it's interesting because, you know, I believe God is constantly, every time we pray to him and ask him for things, it's like he's serving us to the point of trying to show us, hey, I love y'all. It's like a parent serving their child. You don't spoil them. You serve them in a matter of, hey, I'm going to provide what they need. So it's it's a tricky Terminology, a lot of people think serving is uh, means that you're submitting, you're becoming lesser than. And it's just, it's a, something that you, you have to be careful, I guess, in the wording that you articulate, I suppose. But so Abraham, Abram's faith is t- starting to be tested, for it would become the starting point of God's people, finding how imp- important it is to hear faith. Faith would be important for how we can trust God. If we do not have faith, then He will deliver. Well, if we don't have faith, then how can we trust that God's going to deliver us? How can we trust that God's going to give us what we need and desire in life? So for for Him having faith, it showed that He's going to trust in God. He's going to go somewhere He ain't used to. It's like picking up all your baggage right now where you're at taking all your belongings and going into the middle of nowhere. Let's say you're going to the middle of uh, New Mexico's desert and you don't know nothing about it. You're from New York or say you're from Japan or, and you're going into the middle of a desert you have no clue about. It's just so crazy because we really take the fact that the scripture we don't we don't understand it as much because we're not realize we're not putting ourselves in place, which I think once we do, we're actually able to relate with the the characters of the Bible and see how Jesus impacts not only their lives but our lives through through doing this. So it says, even though we ask God to prove himself to us, we still see he is constantly proving himself to us. So I'm gonna read this part from Gen twelve four. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. This is his nephew. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shem, as far as Terebinth, tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. <clears throat> so you think about this. The Canaanites are the grand, the bloodline of Ham, whom, you know, obviously Noah cursed. Noah cursed them. Due to the fact that you know Shem had wickedness in him when he watched his father and, and mocked him and scoffed at him for being drunk and naked, there was probably more to that detail. You know, Joseph, uh, uh, I, I think it's a Joseph, he who we spoke of in the Tower of Babel, he talks about how you know, how Ham would steal from Noah. This cloth that was uh, 
you know, uh, ancient artifact, you know, that was God's blessing. So if that's part of the case that we don't even know about, then that makes it even deeper, you know, it makes it deeper of the fact of him betraying his father, him stealing from him. I think it's uh, Josephus, my apologies. So we have to also ask ourselves this question. Um, you know, when, when we look at Abraham, we can notice that his life, he is living in a tent for a majority of his life, you know. And so it's interesting because I have a little note jotted down here from my study Bible, which I know you can give or take much grain, but this is very fruitful to me. So I hope it is for you. It has been said that for Abram, who would be renamed Abraham, the symbol of his life was a tent, but the secret of his life was an altar. The tent spoke of his pilgrimage, of the fact that he never owned the land. There were times in Abram's life that he moved from place to place. There were also long periods where he lived in tents in the regions of Hebron and Beersheba. But only rarely do we need do we read that Abraham living for a time in a city. So it tells you that Abram being distant from the city shows us how wicked the city is, how unpure the city is. I mean, really think about it. Where does most of your violence happen? Happens in a city. Why does it happen in a city? Because there's no Jesus or God there. You can have churches there all along the place, but if the community is not obedient and fearing of the Lord, there's nothing but chaos and destruction. It goes back to the Tower of Babel. Once again, I'm not telling you all to pack your bags and move out to the country, but what I'm saying is that's why you see so much violence. That's why you see so much unrest and unease. That's why you see so much chaos. The altar speaks of his fellowship with God, for it was the focal point of his worship. As God confirmed his commands, Abram's confirmed his faith by worshiping and building an altar. In addition to Abraham's worship was his witness. Refusing to worship on pagan altars, Abram built his own, a clear testimony to his commitment to one true God. So he could have he could have easily worshipped on the altars that his father built. See at this time frame his father was a pagan, Terra. He had strayed from God. So we're starting to see that, you know, God actually went inside this pagan country and pulled out his, like, his one person. And you have to think about it. There probably were other people who worshiped the same God, Yahweh. But we have to really understand that Abraham's faith, Abraham's trust in God is what led us to the point of us realizing that how special Abraham truly is, how he is the father of Israel, how he is the father of Muslim, how he is even the father of Christianity. And I know it sounds crazy, and a lot of Christians are like, what are you talking about? But think about this, really, think about this. If there was no Israel, there'd be no Christian. If there was no Israel, if there was no Muslim, I mean, there'd be obviously... Know that. And so ultimately, what my point is, is that we can find the little breadcrumbs that connect all three of the religions together, which is good because you need your breadcrumbs in order to enjoy the feast together. You need the breadcrumbs in order to give the groundworks to where if you speak to Muslims or Jews, that you're able to say, hey, we, Jesus Christ is here for all of us. And we are to understand that, you know, I understand that you, Abram, is the father of your religion, Abram's father of your religion. And you know what? He's father. He's not necessarily father of mine, but he's he's part of it. Jesus Christ is the whole body of my religion, you know, ultimately in the end. But to that extent, I'm going to say this. Um, I'm going to go back into read you the part of the, how remarkable it is that, you know, 
Abraham went from being an idolater to worshiping God. I mean, we see an example of Joshua 24, 2, where he speaks about Abraham. So this is well known about how Abraham turned the whole you know, nation of Israel upside down by following God and creating it, this format and trust in God that would lead to all of the children to trust in the same God. I mean, there would be many times people would refer to him. So we'll go to this part. Uh, it says, And when he was called on the name of the Lord, it was more than prayer. He proclaimed those promises in the Lord's name, testifying of his faith in the living God to the period who observed his worship. A tent and altar are also the picture of Christian's life. According to God's word, we are pilgrims and strangers here, the tent. But we are also to be fellowship with the Lord by the way of worship, the altar. And we, like Abraham and Seri, are to witness of the reality of God in our lives. So I hope you all got that part. That shows a comparison to us and Abraham. There, that sounds a lot better, I suppose, that study note to me. But so we'll continue to go forward. So this is where Abraham, this time frame in chapter twelve, where Abraham's about to start going into Egypt and start traveling. So it says, "Now there was a famine in the land of Abraham. Abram went down to Egypt to dwell. Therefore, the famine was severe in the land." And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt, and he said to Sari, his wife, Indeed I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. So he's acknowledging that she's so beautiful. Right? So just imagine, imagine Sari. You're about to go in this land where the people are rough looking. They're rugged. They're not you know, your normal type, I guess, uh, beauty. And what I mean is, is that as a Christian, we walk and people see that light in you. They see a reflection in you. They see how you reflect God's beauty. So Sari is reflecting God's beauty through her trust in Abram, whom trusts in the Lord. So she's trusting God herself. So I'm imagining this radiant light coming off of her. So he talks about the woman of beauty and countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it will be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. So this is... This is where Abraham starts to stray and go wrong because he doubts in God's ability to take care of him. You know, they're there because of the famine, because they can't eat, they can't find food. So they're back to, they're, they're in Egypt for the first time ever. They're in Egypt, you know, trying to stay there and dwell there and not, um, you know, leave. You know, they're trying, they're trying to figure out how, what's God's purpose for us. We're, we're starving. We have nothing to eat. So let's go to Egypt, which we see is flush with food and life. And, you know, he knows that what he's got to do is he's got to pretend that there's somebody they're not just so they can survive. Well, that doesn't work out so well for him. I mean, you know, it, it goes to the point of how you tell a lie. Ultimately, God's going to reveal it. That's the point of being honest. So it's like uh, he's trying to deceit them, you know, trying to pull the wool over their eyes. So what happens is even worse for him. You know, if you really think about this part, uh, Gen 12.10 speaks of God's providing for Abraham a solution for the famine that would plague the land in which he would dwell. In. During the time frame, Abraham would conceive a plan with Sarah to tell a lie. And try to convince the Egyptians that Sarah was wife, was not his wife, but his sister, so that they could enter the land and Abraham would not be killed. But what takes place ultimately is this is a lesson that 
Sarah was incredibly beautiful and that she was, her relationship with God was pure. So these pagans see this and they, they become drawn to her and they say, oh, this is so beautiful. The Pharaoh's sons become attracted to her. And then even the Pharaoh becomes attracted and drawn to her. So what takes place? Evil is drawn to the light. Even though they say the light reflects and evil shall scatter, evil is still attracted to it because it wants to unpurify it. It wants to make it to where it's not pure no more. And so they go to the point of, you know, <laughs> they go to the point where they decide, you know, all right, well, we're going to tell, we're going to let the Pharaoh, you know, lay with my wife or whatever so we can live. But then God is like, what are you doing? No, you're not doing this. He intervenes and he says, you know, I'm going to put a plague on Pharaoh. So he puts a plague on the Pharaoh and that's in Gen 17. I mean, Gen 12, verse 17 in his house with great plagues because Sarah, Abraham's wife and the Pharaoh would call Abraham. And he said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she is your wife? And it's funny because God's already revealing to the Pharaoh, this pagan, hey, you're messing with my my children, my bloodline. And the Pharaoh gets so upset and scared, he just throws them out. He kicks them out. So then we go from there. We're going to uh, move along. I apologize. I know we kind of dwelled on uh, that part a little bit, but. I wanted to kind of emphasize how uh, in Gen 12, 14 through 16, how God would punish Pharaoh with great plagues because Sarah was Abraham's wife. Sarah, I mean, the Pharaoh would kick them out of the kingdom. And then Gen 13, 8, Abraham and Lot would part ways. Uh, the first time due to the space territory. So it's kind of like they're, they're still traveling, but they're kind of getting worn out and frustrated with each other. And, you know... Lot's looking for his own piece of land. He's wondering, why did I even follow this guy? And I, I really question if Lot's faith was that strong at this time frame. I believe it probably wasn't. You know, I believe that his faith was very shallow. You know, it was Abraham and Sarah's faith that was really documented and noted throughout this time frame. So... It, they will part ways, but it's interesting. Here's the interesting part about it. It says, after they split, God shows Abraham a lot, all of his future land, his descendants will inhabit. He also realizes that Noah's promise to Ham was coming true through Abraham inheriting Canaan. So during that time frame, if you think about it, he's inheriting Canaan, the people, all of you know, Ham's people are now become going to become servants. They're going to be the footstools to Abraham and his people. They're going to be the outsiders. But what I find interesting about this uh, chapter is that through it, we find that Lot would choose to live near the big cities of Sodom and Gomorrah versus Abraham wanted to stay out in the country of Canaan. So there it goes again. What me and uh, Chris spoke about with the Tower of Babel you know, living in the big cities, where people look at them like, man, it's so fun, so beautiful. But those are the most sinful areas because people are getting together to defy God, to party amongst themselves, to celebrate. And it's like a limelight. We look out and it's like a bug being drawn to the zapper. We hear the zap noise. We hear our friends getting burned and cooked. But yet we're still going. We're still going. And then if it pops us, we're gone. So it's 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 really interesting because... I think the country aspect, you hear so many people say, man, it's so beautiful out there. You can see all the stars. You feel close to God. Well, why is that? Because there's no distractions. That's that's the truth. There's no distractions. Um, another, another thing I want to kind of do is I want to read this study note, you know, uh, which is interesting because this is a little one off my study Bible, uh, Jeremiah's study Bible. And it speaks of, uh, in Hebrews, lift your eyes means seek out, look with care. Lot chooses for himself what he believes to be the best land, yet this was 
the testimony of Sodom, uh, territory of Sodom and Gomorrah, two of the most perverse and exceedingly wicked cities at that time. Lot selfish choice would provide disasters because over time it would draw him into Sodom's way. All decisions have implications beyond that moment. Abraham waited until God spoke, and then he looked at uh, the land before him. Despite Lot's choice, Yahweh, the principal personal name of God in the Old Testament, blessed Abraham with more land and the whole Canaan, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, and then vowed to give the land to Abraham's seed forever and hide in the promise in 12.7. So think about this. Lot thinks he's got the best peace because he's near Sodom and Gomorrah. He's near the big city. He's near all the fun in his mind. But it would end up where Abraham actually received more sea, uh, land because he waited for God to... He waited for God to pretty much notify him of what he wanted him to do. He waited to not make his own decision. He'd already made his own decision once, and you see how that failed with uh, the Pharaoh. So now he's really trusting God. And through these trials and areas, I believe that Abraham would grow further and further with God. And, you know, he would ultimately show his, his growth in faith and his growth in his testimony. So we're going to pick it on up again. I apologize. I know I, I keep... I keep uh, staggering. <laughs> I think you guys might enjoy it though. But so, all right. So here's what I find interesting. You look at Gen 14. It starts off with the kings aligning and dividing through the chaos of war, which is a reminder of the Tower of Babel. They came together in vain and not in Yahweh God. So they would obviously fall apart. They would obviously not see eye to eye. So then we go to Lot would become a prisoner. This is the time frame where Lot would become a prisoner, and he would, due to the his lust to live near the big city, he would become caught in the crossfires of war. So these all these kings are fighting each other, and you know you look at Lot. He's just moved there, be outside. He's just want to give his sheep and lamb something more to eat in life, and all of a sudden, boom. You know, he's caught, he's captured, he's held prisoner because these people are trying to punish Samak Mora, you know, for the division that they've caused. So Abraham would find out about his brother's captive through an escaped prisoner. Interesting how King of Sodom, the temptation, would later on greet Abraham after Abraham won and got Lot back. And got all these possessions from the people that whom they would uh, fight and kill. So the king of Sodom would come out afterwards and be like, "Hey guys, thanks for helping us out." Even though Abraham had no intention to help them out, his intention was to save his nephew, who he loved. <laughs> and it shows the temptation here is the is Sodom, which in a sense is greeting Abraham with anything. He's like, take whatever you want. You can have anything. That's like kind of like the devil tempted us saying, hey, take whatever you want. You can have anything. Just follow me. Just come stay here. Just take care of us. Just be whatever. But that, I don't believe that that's what God calls us to. You know, we're not called to have that that temptation override. We're called to repent of our sins, of our temptations, and to grow in the, the Holy Spirit. You know, we have to realize what God's purpose is for us. So, we then go to the the point where Abraham is, is, uh, is going to meet back with Lot. And Lot still, it's funny because Lot's still not happy. You know, after this whole takes place, Lot decides he's going to run. He wants to run back into Sodom and Gomorrah, even though all that stuff is taking place. He's so enamored and in love with the the entire process of how Sodom and Gomorrah are that he's willing to go back into his place that is so wicked. He 
he's already been somewhat brainwashed. So, so we come into the point where now Lot is back. He's done gone back probably to Sodom and Gomorrah at this time frame. Um, just a kind of historical point uh, to also pinpoint the geographical location. I mean, you look at where these areas are taking place of, they're north of Damascus, you know. So it, it's really interesting if you look at the map and you see how close we are to actual, you know, lands that are still uh, pretty big. And Damascus actually, funny enough to say, it's a very huge city as well. So Abraham winds up going and uh, he meets a man named um, Melzedek, who's the king of Salem. He brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God's most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God's most high, professor of heaven and earth. And bless the God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. And so after he said that, Abraham would give like a tithe to this man. He would give him a tithing of, you know, 10% of all the things that he had after he won the battle. So we're going to jump into Gen 15 where God speaks to Abraham for the first time, informing him, Abraham, that uh, Elzir, which would be Abraham's hand, uh, like his handmaid, but it's like his servant. Uh, he's been traveling around with Abraham for much of this journey. So he is, uh, you know, taking a liking to this young man. He's he's treating him like his son. You know, he figures, well, me and Sarah haven't had any children. God's going to bless me with all this land. I want somebody to have it. Lot doesn't want to live here. He wants to live near the city. So I need somebody else. So this is his second attempt at trying to have his own child, you know, through adoption, I guess you would say, in this mannerism. But God has other plans for him. God says to him, says, uh, you know, Abraham, you're not, this is not going to be your child. You know, the one shall, this is in uh, verse four, said, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then the Lord brought out him outside and said, look now towards heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So, I mean, you think about God's already saying, hey, you're going to have children as multiple as the stars. As far as you can count, there's going to be your children. And he trusted and trust in God. God showed him through his trust and obedience that this thing would take place. But before this would take place, we can see in... Genesis 15, verse 12, how uh, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strange in a land that is not theirs. So he's kind of prophesizing, giving him a vision of what's going to come. And it's important that God said this because when while they're later on dwelling in Egypt, they would revert back to the promise that God made to their grandfather Abraham and how there would have multitudes of land. There is the land of milk and honey. So, And they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. So they would have great possessions due to, you know, the Pharaoh giving them stuff, and that would help them start up Israel. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So it's interesting because I think the fourth generation, he's referring more to... uh, so Abraham would be first generation. Then you have Isaac second. Then you would have his son, uh, Jacob, which is third. Well, Joseph, I believe, would be the fourth generation. And so his generation, those children there of Israel, 
that generational, you know, Joseph's brother, they would come back to that time frame because the Amorites were still, you know, big and they weren't, they weren't yet weakened. Um, so we're going to jump, I believe a little bit forward, uh, to Genesis 16, which would be the start of, uh, a new situation. So God's done made this promise with Abraham. Abraham's waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. You know, how am I going to have children? I'm not allowed to have this servant. He's not my blood. So Sarah has this grand idea in her mind. And this is their correlation with Eve. So Sarah is looking at her handmaid. She's like, man, this woman's very beautiful. I got her from, you know, she's from Egypt. And so what she winds up doing is she, you know, Abraham starts second guessing or doubting in God. And... He's wondering how how am I even gonna have children? And Sarah's hearing this, his partner, his wife, and she's her heart's breaking as she's hearing this. And she's thinking to herself, she's like, you know what? I have Hagar here. I'm not bearing a child. This woman's young, fruitful. I'm I'm pretty sure she can bear him a child. So she is now, let's say, let's give this comparison. Am and Eve, Sarah and Abraham. Eve picked the fruit of the tree. Sarah picked the fruit of her servant. And the fruit of her servant was Hagar, this woman who could possibly bear children. She tempts Abraham. Eve tempts Adam. Adam bites of the fruit. Abraham bites of the fruit in mannerism of sleeping with Hagar impregnating Hagar, creating a new civilization that is now not part of God's original plan. Adam eats of the fruit. They get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. The punishment arrives upon them where they have to toil in the land, bear fruit that is sinful, and so you look at the two correlations and parallels, they're very similar. Because now Sarah is angered and mad at Hagar for sleeping with her husband. Jealousy and rage have now been created as a punishment. It's not Hagar's fault. She's just doing what her handmaid said. She's just a pawn in the game. But there's anger. There's jealousy. There's abuse that's now being done. Every time Sarah sees Hagar, she wants to beat her. So she yells at her and she scorns her and she puts her down and she might might actually kick at her. I don't, I'm not quite sure. You know, I mean, you look at that, there's probably like a 40 to 50 year age difference, you know? So Sarah is very angry. And you're being Hagar, you know, she didn't. What did she do wrong? She was just the pawn in the game. You know, she didn't know any better. She just thought she was fulfilling her master's wish. So now we go to Hagar. You know, she's fleeing. She said, I'm, not, I'm, I'm enough with this. I'm done. So let's go to Genesis 16, verse 7. Now when the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sari's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the pre presence of my mistress, Sari. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitudes. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. Your you shall call his name Ishmael, because of the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And it shall, and he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. So here's what's interesting about this part. So, on fifteen, on. 
chapter 16, verse 15. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So think about this point. Ishmael is the birth of the Muslims. Abraham is the birth of the Israelites. He's carrying the name. You know, he's carrying the bloodline through his genes. But Ishmael is the blood is the father. So you have the father of the Jews creating the father of the Muslims. And they would have strife and chaos and rage towards each other for years and decades. And there'd be unrest over this land, over this promise of Abraham's land. So Abraham created his own Cain and Abel, his own feud. But you think about it, both of them are lost. I mean, you know, we as society right now, we look at the Muslims, we're like, oh, terrorists or oh, false prophets. We look at the Jews and we think, oh, stingy people. Oh, you know, they, they're anti-Jesus. They refuse God. And then the Christians look at, you look at the Christians and you're like, judgmental. Not walking as Christ did. Fake. Phony. I mean, you go. the list goes on. I could call every name I'm, I've heard people reference Christians as. But the one thing that stands the difference between them all is that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. He is the only way you're getting to be close to God. And the thing is, is that, this is a side note, we as Christians have to be able to the audience that is that is out there. We have to be able to understand the pain that the Muslims are facing. I mean, they're a culture that they they were born into this anger and rage. They were born into this this pain. I mean, look at their the mother of the their culture is abused by Sarah. She's abused by her, and it was Sarah's idea. Not to, you know, dig any deeper, I suppose, but I'm just trying to get you a, an idea of what what actually is going on. So this is before Isaac's even come into play. This is before, you know, everything's taken, you know, into consideration. So let's look a little deeper on 17. I mean, you know, like I said a long time ago, Jesus Christ is the only way that these three religions can come together because he's the only king of all of them. He's the he's the one true king of everything. Genesis 17, God creates covenant with Abraham, renames him and Sarah, promising Abraham's descendants will be great multitudes and exceedingly fruitful. Circumcision is now introduced and so everybody's circumcised and all the people are being circumcised, okay? But the covenant's being made is that they're going to now start circumcising eight-year-old babies. And the reason why is because there were other cultures during this time frame that were circumcising, but they were doing it for sexual purposes, not for uh, religious purposes or for God. So when we look at it, we have to realize that uh, an eight-day-old baby, that's a ritualistic circumcision that's what the jews began to do and it would show the covenant between god and and abraham's family and god and isaac eventually when he would become so as we uh dig a little deeper let's say let's go to gen 17 verse 21 but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at the seat time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house, and all who were brought, bought with his money, every male among the men in Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of the foreskin, that that very same day, as God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh in his foreskin. 
And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old. So that's where the 13-year-old would come from. That's where where men, you know, Jewish men, boys would become men would be due to that point where Ishmael is actually, actually circumcised at 13. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men in his house born in the house and bought with the money from a foreigner was circumcised with him. So that, that's amazing. I mean, you're getting the, and just in Genesis 17, we're understanding the whole ideology of circumcision. We're understanding the ideology of why the Jewish, you know, age was 13 for boys to become men. And we as Christians even hold on to that to this day where we're like, well, I don't, many, many do, you know, in certain sectors, they're like, well, I believe a person has to have a sound mind. And once they're 13 years old, then they're accountable for their own sins. Now, that's an, another can of worms that we can open up later on. But you have to consider we're following Jewish customs in that sense of God's promise. We're saying, all right, well, it's my job to raise this child up, to teach him about Jesus Christ until he's 13. And after he's 13, it's his choice to repent of his sins and want to change his life and to live it for Jesus Christ. So that's that's the interesting correlation of the two. So we're finding out also at 99 that Abraham's going to finally have a son that God promised him, and that would be Isaac. And that'd be with Sarah. And, you know, you look at Sarah, she's been, you know, and they would have a child for so many years, but now God has come in. He said, it's time. It's time for her to have a son and for her to have her own family, you know. So we're going to now look at uh, closing this chapter out, and then uh, we'll pick it back up, probably hit part of 17, and then, and then finish it up with uh, the rest of Genesis, you know, 18 through uh i think it's 18 through 23 i believe but anyways i'm gonna give my closing thoughts and prayer and then we'll go but before i do so i want to say uh i do finally have a email account that you guys can hit me up it's part of our ministries email it's mark thomason t-h-o-m-a-s-o-n at hidden h-i-d-d-e-n mana m-a nnachurch.com so any questions y'all have about the topics we discussed anything I want to add or say I would appreciate it we at Hidden Man Church want your questions we want them because that's how we're going to be able to feed others because it's not just you that has the questions others and even if you see me in person please just send me an email with your question because the reason why I can go to it and I won't try to remember how you were thinking. I don't want you to be shy. I want you to email me at Mark Thomason, T-H-O-M-A-S-O-N, at hidden, H-I-D-D-E-N, mana, M-A-N-N-A, church.com. And you can also check out our website, hiddenmanachurch.com. And you can find our podcasts and our other, you know, things about our church and our ministry that me and Chris are doing, as well as my wife, Shannon. Uh, Hopefully, eventually, she'll get some blogs out there. So, anyways, <clears throat> my final thoughts before I close are this. There's a lot of parallels in the, the story of Abraham that you can look at your own life. Think about when God came into your life. You were probably at home, maybe, or at work, and God came to you and he moved you. And I promise you, wherever he moved you at, he didn't stay. You became like him. You became like a, a person traveling from place to place trying to find an identity. And many of you may be soldiering or going through tough times, but they don't last long. Because when we have faith in Jesus Christ, we realize that he's going to deliver us. He's going to deliver his promise every time. We can't trust in our own selves. For as you see with Abraham, where he trusted in his own ideology of them going to Egypt and him lying and saying, hey, this is my sister. It caused so much anger and strife. Telling a lie is not going to fix anything. 
if anything, telling the lie, what that's going to do is that's going to create more division and more separation amongst people. It's better to be honest and pure. So once we're peeling all these layers back of our lives and we're repentance of our sins and we give them to Jesus Christ and we get baptized, we're now sojourn in foreign land. We're now tent dwellers because now we're acknowledging this is not our home. No matter how big of a house we have, no matter how beautiful it is, this is not our home. But you know where is our home? Heaven. Jesus Christ. Fellowshipping with fellow brothers and sisters. You know, the thing is, is every time I fellowship, I feel the fire. And I've talked to people and I've heard their stories. And the thing is, we all can relate to each other. We all can identify with each other. There's the truth is, is that ultimately some people feel more entitled than others. Some people feel like, oh, they're deeper on their walk. You know, the thing is, we all start off as sinners, but we don't have to stay there. We can always achieve a higher goal, which is salvation. We see the correlation of Abraham with Adam. And we can identify ourselves with Adam and Eve's situation. The forbidden fruit for the single men or the single woman is sex. And those things should be held for marriage. You see, every action has a reaction and a consequence, but yet we always want to cover them up. I don't think we're meant to. I think God's going to expose everything to our heart and we're going to bleed and we're going to suffer and feel the pain until we give it to God. And even after that point, there's still going to be little reminders to let us know, hey, I forgive you, but don't don't let others fall down and make the same mistakes you made. So I'm going to say, with that being said, I'm going to go into prayer and I'm going to close out this chapter of Abraham part one. Lord, we love you. We thank you for everybody that's come to list this ministry from the east to the west to the north to the south. And we beg of you, Lord, for it to grow, for your word to hit one and all. For you to be the acknowledgement and the surrounding point of our lives. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for everything you've done for us and everything you continues to do for us. And I ask you, Lord, for if there's anyone listening right now that has not accepted you as the Lord and Savior, may they stop right now and get in prayer and they repent of their sins in their life and they want the baptism to become brand new. That they know that you have forgiveness for them, that you have love for them, that you have the knowledge to share with them the fruit the manna to feed them we thank you almighty lord for everything you've done for us and everything continues to do for us we thank you lord for all the love you've provided hidden man church and we thank you lord for all the people that are constantly coming back and we ask you lord for them to feed the masses that are around them to share this word with those that are around them for us to continuously grow in our walk with you as well as them to grow in their walk with you as well I thank you, God, for everyone that's here. I love you all, brothers and sisters, and I pray that you have a blessed day, a wonderful day. And I thank you for joining us again for a walk with Jesus. God bless you, my brothers and sisters.